You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Well, I think finally, today is the official day. We finally start talking about the Washington Whatchamacallits. An exciting day it is. I actually just finished a couple hours ago an interview with Mr. Al Galdi. He is the host of the Al Galdi podcast, which is a uh, Washington football team podcast. Very good podcast. Very, very popular podcast. And it's pretty obvious to see why. And tomorrow I'll be doing an interview with the Tim's Sports Talk show on YouTube. So I'm looking forward to that. It's been fun. I, I Like I said, I don't usually bring people on my podcast, but i um, trying to get a little better at that. But I like being on other people's shows. It's easier for me. Seems counterintuitive. You think it'd be easier to just be like, hey, what are your thoughts on this? And then you just kick back and let them fill up the show. But um, the preparation, I, for me, is harder than just answering questions and giving my opinion. That's pretty easy. I don't have to prepare. It's just like, what do you think about this? Oh, let me tell you about that. I'll tell you all about that. But anyways, why don't we start off with uh, the injuries and whatnot, because that's always interesting to look at. Just, just an update. The only um, official change was Darnell Savage. Darnell Savage did practice in a limited fashion. Obviously, that's uh, good news for his availability for this upcoming game. Hopefully, he's going to be able to go. Remember, he had the concussion. Kevin King did practice for the second time this week, again, making it seem much more likely that he will play. Dennis Kelly still didn't participate. Josh Meyer still didn't participate. Preston Smith still did not participate. As for Washington, most of their guys went from did not participate to participating. The guys that didn't, Samuel Cosme, their offensive tackle, Curtis Samuel, the wide receiver, Brandon Scherf, the offensive guard, and Cam Sims, the other wide receiver. Everybody else was either limited or full participation for their team. Aside from that, what I do want to start off with is uh, Patreon, because I reached out and asked for any questions related to Washington or our matchup or those kinds of things. So we'll start with that, and then we'll start to backfill from there. So we'll kick it off with Mr. Eric Munn, kind of reiterated by Brian. But the question is, I've heard mixed reviews on their defensive front. What do the grades say? Brian basically said he wanted to ask uh, the same thing. Great defensive line previous years. um, Essentially, what's changed? It's kind of interesting because um, I've also been hearing mixed things. You know, I, I came into this blind thinking, well, I know they got a good defensive front. And I've heard a lot of grumbling. And I also heard how bad their defense was, and we'll get into that in just a minute. Um, But when I looked at it, I thought, this is a good defensive line. I don't understand. Maybe not quite as good as they could be, but still good. Looking at the specifics, if we just look at grades and and rankings and whatnot, um, the lowest graded player on this defensive line is a guy that has underwhelmed quite a bit. Remember, they've taken a lot of big swings. First round, almost all Alabama guys. Um, But... Deron Payne was somebody they picked up in 2018 with the 13th overall pick in the first round. He's never really lived up. Um, 67 overall grade in 2018, uh, stayed at a 67, then a 70. So far this year, a 63. So underperforming based on his standard. But if he does get better, you would expect him to be kind of in that mid to high 60 range, which again, isn't all that great. Now, he's grading out as a run defender at 50 but as a pass rusher at 73. So he's not completely inept across the board. He's actually doing quite well as a pass rusher, not so much as a run defender. We'll get into specific stats in just a minute. I just want to kind of give a broad brush overview right now. He is a defensive tackle. The other defensive tackle is Mr. Jonathan Allen. 
Again, a first-round pick out of Alabama. This time it was the 17th overall selection. This was in uh, 2017, so the year prior. He started off a little bit better with a 78 overall grade, dropped to a 69, dropped from there to a 60, went back up to a 78. So far is the third highest ranked defensive lineman with a 90.5 overall grade. Again, just a 68.8 overall run defense grade, but a 90.6 pass rush grade. Pretty dominant. Then off the edge, again, a couple of high-profile players. First-round pick Montez Sweat out of Mississippi State. This was in 2019. So we've talked about 2017, 2018. This is 2019. Again, got off to a terrible start with a 60 overall grade. Had a big second-year leap to an 80 overall grade. So far this season, 74.7. So he hasn't really surpassed his 80, but he's kind of hovering in that range. 28th out of 105 edge rushers. He's kind of the opposite. In more of a better version of Preston Smith, 65 pass rush grade, 80 run defense grade. So he holds the edge, but he doesn't provide much by way of pass rush. Then we get the 2020 first round pick, this time the second selection. So <laughs> 20, what, 17, 18, 19, and 20 first round picks, all defensive line, this time Ohio State Buckeye, um, Chase Young. Now, Year one, he was the fifth best edge rusher in the NFL, according to PFF, 87.1 overall grade as a rookie. So far this year, Washington fans have been very disappointed. I've heard a lot about him. That isn't great, but still 75 overall grade, pretty balanced, 72 run defense, 74 pass rush. Um, It's not terrible. It's just not what people expect for a number two overall. You want Joey Bosa or Nick Bosa or whatever, or... J.J. Watt or or T.J. Watt. Maybe if he had a brother, there would be, you know, better production. So again, we'll get into more specifics a little bit later, but the point is, they're talented football players. I don't think they've fully reached their potential, and there's a lot of frustration, but I also think maybe Washington fans are putting a little bit too much on them, because the fact of the matter is they get zero help anywhere else. Again, I'll expand on that in a bit, but the rest of this defense is pathetic. And as we know, if your supporting cast is really, really bad, it's hard for you to really dominate to your full potential. Now, they've got a bunch of guys next to them that are pretty good, which helps, but everybody else is kind of struggling. Um, and, and some of the stats, by the way, are phenomenal. It's not like, well, they grade out pretty well, but they have no stats. They don't actually get to the court. It's not true. But anyways, moving on. Henry says, can you highlight Tyler Heineke? I think most haven't watched the Washington football team and just remember the big playoff win. Very good question, slash observation. He is sort of like a Kurt Bankert of the NFL, right? He came in, played lights out, and everybody just assumes, dude, they got a stud. I think maybe a comparable would be somebody like, uh, what's the guy's name? Gardner Minshew, right? Kind of a nobody, didn't really expect anything. He comes in, he's flashy. Not that Heineke's flashy or anything, but... Comes in, he's kind of flashy, takes over, wins some games. It's like, dude, this guy's awesome. Except he's he's not that awesome. So first of all, his little stint last year in the playoffs was not like his first time ever playing football. Um, he was actually picked up by the Minnesota Vikings in 2015. He's 30 years old. I mean, he looks like he's 21. He's 30. He's been around. He's uh, He's old. He didn't take his first snap until 2017, and at that point, he was with the Houston Texans. I'm not going to go over his entire history. I don't know who picked him up, when, how, whatever. doesn't really matter. First time he saw any action was with Houston. Three dropbacks, one attempt, one completion, 10 yards. That's it. Then in 2018, he ends up with Carolina. He has 60 dropbacks, 57 attempts. 35 of those were completed for 320 yards, one touchdown, three interceptions, 46.2 overall grade. That's garbage, right? Then there was the magical, mythical 2020 season, sort of a Nick Foles situation where the guy plays like a 95 overall grade Super Bowl performance plus, you know, NFC championship game and um, is just an absolute stud, except he has a hard time finding a job. And understandably so, when he finds a job, he's not very good because he's not actually that good. He just balled out. Anyways, though, His first action the entire year for Washington, or the first time ever playing for Washington, was Week 16 against Carolina. He only throws the ball 19 times, but completes 12 of those passes for 137 yards, 7.2 average, one touchdown, no interceptions, 82 overall grade. Then against Tampa Bay, wild card game, 
Um, 52 dropbacks, 44 attempts, 26 completions, 306 yards, seven yards per attempt, one touchdown, one pick. Somehow walks away from that game with a 92 overall grade, probably because Tampa has this elite defense and a lot of his work was done under pressure and he did quite well. He had five big time throws in that game, zero turnover worthy plays, which is notable because you look at it and say one touchdown, one interception, that's trash. They said he had no turnover worthy plays. How is that possible? I don't know. I don't know exactly the situation. Ball got tipped. Ball hit the receiver in the arms and flew it up in the air. I don't know. But according to their system, which is not perfect, by the way, he had no turnover-worthy throws. So incredible outing for Mr. Tyler Heineke. And as was pointed out by Mr. Henry, that's what people remember about him, right? Um, don't know the guy. He comes in. He balls out. He's, he's maybe, maybe they got something here. So far this season, he's played in all six games. He has um, 198 attempts. 126 of those were completed for 1,390 yards, seven yards per attempt, nine touchdowns, and six interceptions. The guy throws a lot of interceptions. In his career, he's thrown 12 touchdowns and 10 interceptions. That's, that's even including his really good year. He's had one game where he's graded in the 70s, and that was a 73.4, and that was against the New York Giants. Other than that, his best games have been 67 against Kansas City, 66 against Atlanta, 49 against New Orleans, 46 against the Chargers, and a 39.8 against Buffalo. The only other thing really to note is that he does do some damage with his legs, as much as you might not necessarily expect that. Um... He's run like the third most on his team, 127 yards, 5.1 yards per attempt. He has one rushing touchdown, no fumbles. He even has two missed tackles forced, if you can believe that. His longest run was for 20 yards. He has four carries over 10 yards. Almost all of these are on scrambles. I mean, literally all of the yards are on scrambles because his designed runs didn't, you know, go anywhere. It averages zero yards, two yards, and then two negative one yards. Those might have even been uh, kneel, kneel downs. I don't know. Uh, but also has seven first downs rushing. So anyways, yes, it's fair to say that this is not the same guy, and we don't need to think of him as the same guy that played in those playoff games. In fact, um, those are the only two times he's ever really played at that level ever. Um, generally speaking, you're going to get a average to subpar performance from Mr. Tyler Heineke, and... Um, I'm not even sure if I'm saying his name right, so I'm going to move on to a new subject. Brian says, I don't want to look ahead, but is there anything that you want to see in the Washington football team game that might help going into the gauntlet of the schedule, and more specifically, a short week on the road against the currently undefeated Cardinals? I can tell you what I don't want to see. I don't want to see the Packers playing for the Cardinals, whatever that might mean. They're mentally not prepared for this game because they're focused on the Cardinals, they're concerned about the physicality of the game and how much exertion they have to put out because they have a very short week against a uh, opponent like the Cardinals. I just don't want them to pull up lame a little bit because they're more focused on um, the output involved with the Cardinals. I am glad that this is a home game, so they don't have to travel. Um, they can be rested, play the game, stay there, get rested, get prepared, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, um, I guess the only thing I really want to see is the same focused intensity that we've seen. I mean, I, I understand the desire for let's bury them. You know what I mean? Like we've seen the the close games and all that kind of stuff. And I'll be honest, if this is a close game, I'm not going to feel very good about the Cardinals game. And I think it's completely fair to say, look, this defense has done a terrible job. Um, you need to be able to put out a high output against this team if you're going to do anything against the Cardinals defense, which has actually done quite well. Similarly, their offense has been terrible. I need you to bury this offense to give me any confidence that you can stop the Cardinals defense but uh, or offense. I think that's fair. But let's. I'm, I, I want to take each week on its own merits. I want to take each week looking at each week. And I just want to make sure that this team shows up and plays every team like it's the Super Bowl. That's kind of the biggest thing. Hopefully that translates to absolutely dominating them. I just don't want to see them come out and not give the same amount of effort that we've seen. Because that's the team that loses in the playoffs. A team that, you know, if, if you show up and give your all and lose to the Cardinals by like six points, but you played as best as you could, and, you know, maybe if we had some of our pieces back, we had a real shot, that's not going to crush me as much as watching you flounder against Washington. 
because that's the team that loses to, you know, the Saints in the playoffs, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the playoffs, the Cardinals in the playoffs. Eric jumps back in. He says, what have we learned about Barry's defense six games in? I just, I think it's the resilience factor. I think you have to give them credit for the mentality and also the scheme. It's hard to be mad at the scheme when, let's be completely honest about this. If we had this amount of injuries under Mike Pettin, it would have been a lot worse. There's no doubt in my mind, Mike Pettin with no Zadarius, no Jair, no Kevin King, no Darnell Savage, and I would be willing to bet anything the linebackers wouldn't be playing this well. Kenny Clark would not be playing this well. It would be an absolute travesty. There's there's little to no doubt in my mind. So, I mean, you know, does it need to get better? Of course it does. But I don't know how much better it's going to get if we don't start getting some guys back. I mean, we can get a little bit more from Preston, a little bit more from Rashawn. I don't think Kenny has too many more gears. Maybe a little bit more from our other defensive tackles. Um, We got to get our guys back, man. We need our lockdown corner. Um, I'm not going to say we need Zadarius, but geez, does that change everything with Zadarius on the field? Aaron, getting right to the point, says, how do we attack? What's their weakness versus strength? Well, without just ruining the next couple days by summarizing the whole thing uh, too in-depth, I think the best way for us to attack is, is really just to acknowledge the weaknesses that they have, which again is basically everything except their defensive line. Um, regardless of, of what it is we decide to do, the corners, the linebackers, the safeties, um, at pretty much every level, we, we have the ability to have success. Um, the other side of it, which I haven't really talked about yet, the offensive line is actually better than I was expecting, kind of similar to the defensive line, at least in terms of grades and whatnot. Um, they've had several injuries to the, the right side of the line, and the guys that have come in so far have actually done a pretty good job. But still, you're dealing with a team that essentially has one weapon on it, one wide receiver. And so while you can, to some degree, say, well, they've got one wide receiver that's better than our corner, they could maybe just keep picking it. I suppose. But, I mean, you have a quarterback that's not great. He's even worse under pressure. So if we can provide any amount of pressure, that's going to be great. If we can play the run even half as good as we have been, we should have some, some modicum of success because they're not doing a good job running the ball. Um, bottom line, their weakness is most of their team. They're still largely a trench team, which obviously can have some problems, but otherwise pick your weakness. Finally, Andy says, how do you think we deploy merciless Jalen this week? Do you see more snaps for Jalen and a small snap count on passing situations for uh, merciless? I wouldn't be surprised if Jalen takes a step back um, I guess I wouldn't be surprised either way. Um, he had a really bad showing and really demonstrated that he doesn't know what he's doing. And the biggest problem with that is it's not like he just didn't do a great job. The, the point is with this defense, everybody has a role and everybody kind of has to do their job. And if you don't do your job, you're going to be the reason that there was a really big run. And we saw that several times. There was, there was a big gap there because he was just in the wrong spot. And if he could just stand in the right spot, He could tackle the guy and we wouldn't have these problems, but he didn't. He went to the wrong area, and by the time he realized he was in the wrong area, there's an offensive lineman there ready to wall him off, and he couldn't get there to make the play. And so, again, it kind of just comes down to one of those things with with linebackers in particular, and I'm sure other positions, where it's not even so much the athleticism, which is why I think Devondre Campbell is, is doing such a great job. He's not an athletic freak. It's really just about you need to really, really fully understand what your job is, and if you can follow your assignment. You can have success here, but Jalen just is not understanding. And, and you know, you can give him some leeway and say that he, you know, hasn't had time, but this was his issue in Dallas too. This is why he got cut. Now, it's also possible that given another week, they went over some things and they're like, all right, I think maybe he's got it. Let's give it another shot. Because again, they love his upside and, and they want to see what happens. So we'll see. But I wouldn't be surprised if he takes a step back and you see guys like Chris Barnes or whatever start to fill that role a little bit more. Um, as for Merciless, I really think he's going to play, um, again, I, I think it'll be in that second string role. So whatever you see from Garvin is what you'll see from Merciless. So I think it'll be Preston and Rashawn, and then you'll see Merciless and Garvin out there. I think that there's a high level of comfort with Merciless and what he's going to be able to do. I mean, there's going to be some issues in terms of understanding the defensive scheme and whatnot, but I, I, I believe that they trust him. They've made some comments about that. And again, I, I really think that's another big part of the Merciless signing. You know, I just need you to come in here and know what I'm asking you to do. 
And so he's going to be able to do that. He's going to come in. He's going to be able to spell the, the number one guys. And, and probably, I, I, I really think it's going to be an upgrade. Again, I, I know he's been a bit of a, a decline, but what we're talking about is he's replacing Chauncey Summers, essentially. Or Rivers, excuse me, Chauncey. River, Summer. Do we have a spring on the team? I don't think so. That actually worked on both of them, didn't it? Spring with Rivers, but spring with Summer. You know what I mean? I am a genius, all right? Do you understand me? Don't laugh. Stop laughing. That was a sick line. You ever do that when you accidentally say something clever and then you try to act like you knew that that was clever? Sometimes I do that. But that's my expectation. And, and again, so he's going to be replacing uh, Rivers, I think. And now I'm just all messed up. And, and that's, I think that's an important distinction. I don't want you to think of him as replacing Zadarius because then it's just a pretty big fall off. What we had prior to was Preston and Rashawn and then the backups to that were Rivers and Garvin. And we got some really good production out of that, largely, not really from Garvin and Rivers necessarily. They did fine. But the ability to keep our main guys in fresh and put them in when we really wanted them in optimal situation. Number one, we can get back to that now because we've got another duo that can come in. But I really think we're getting a big upgrade in Whitney Merciless over Chauncey Rivers. And that's kind of cool. Anyways, we're going to take a break right here, and then we'll kind of turn around, dig into the Washington football team a little bit more in depth. Once again, thank you very much to everybody that joined me on Patreon. Let me click this little button here because I've got a new patron. It's been a while. We hit uh, 260, which was uh, my goal. Very, very excited about it. And everyone's like, all right, he he met his goal. We can can stop dealing with his nonsense now. It's like, no, don't ever stop. My real goal is like 1,000 patrons, so (laughs) I just don't tell you that because then you'll be like, well, that's ridiculous. I'm out of here. But that's just between us. Don't tell the people. I actually don't know what my real goal is. I All I know is, like I said, you got that that uh, Bears podcast. They've got like 600 and some odd patrons, $7 minimum, like 4500 bucks a month. That's so much money. That's crazy. Cheesehead TV's got like a billion patrons. But they also run like a studio. So I don't. that's pretty expensive. Although I think that's a separate thing. I don't know what they do. But I know that they have a lot of patrons. And I would like that. So if we can get to 262, that'd be cool. If, if this thing would work, I'm, I'm really just stalling for time because my, my internet or Patreon is not working. There we go. Thank you very, very much to Mr. Chris White for jumping in on the Patreons. I really do appreciate that, sir. Um, again, it might just be a dollar or five dollars, whatever it might be for you. But um, for me, all these little things really do add up and it's been a massive help Before I ever joined a network and found any ads, the first amount of revenue came for people just being willing to give a little bit. And that has since grown. By the way, Mr. Brian, who I swear I've had to say your name 700 times. I'm sticking with Pukowski because it sounds right. Also upped his pledge, and I really do appreciate that. I almost forgot about that. I'm sorry. Kind of snuck in with a bunch of notifications, so I didn't thank you personally. And then I saw Chris and kind of ran over to there. But thank you two very, very much for that. I really do appreciate that. It helps a ton. Um, my brain is still spinning, believe it or not. There's still a lot of things that I would like to do to kind of upgrade things. I just, I'm kind of stuck on what direction to go right now. Um, I kind of want to build up the studio, but I've kind of taken a step back with YouTube. And so building out like a cool looking studio when this is an audio podcast would be kind of stupid and self-serving. That's unnecessary. I've considered reaching out to actual like companies that could possibly help me to grow the show, but I don't really know what direction to go with that. So I'm not exactly sure the direction to go with the support that I've been getting, but um, I'm working on that. I'm trying to figure out the best use of the support that I'm getting. And once I figure it out, we'll just head in that direction. But uh, again, I really do appreciate all the support. Let's take a break and we'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view 
on all possible cards and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right, well, welcome back. So given somewhat of a vague overview of the team, uh, let's kind of fill in some of the blanks here. Washington football team is 2-4 and four under coach Ron Rivera, Jack Del Rio, the defensive coordinator, Scott Turner, the offensive coordinator. So guys that have been around the block for sure. However, despite the uh, brilliant brain trust, their offense ranks 21st in points, 24th in yards defensively. And this one surprised me by a lot. Dead last offensively, 31st in yards, so second from the bottom in yards. This is the worst defense in football. I feel like I've said that a couple times. <laughs> said it about the Bears. I said the the uh, the uh, Steelers had the worst offense, which might have been hyperbole, but we're always going up against the worst of something. This might be the worst team, though, that we've faced because Chicago had a top 10 defense. Obviously, the competition would be the Lions. I would say they're pretty comparable, um, but I would still give the nod to Washington so far. Detroit, um, if we compare Detroit's offense to Washington's defense, 28th on offense, 27th uh, as far as uh, yards, and then 25th and 25th on defense. Um, I don't know. I, I They're close, but it's Washington slightly worse. Also, I talked about this a little bit on Twitter a couple days ago, but um, definitely worth noting. The defense has given up at least 30 points in their last four games, and five games ago they gave up 29 points. So 29 points or more since week two. They give up uh, 29 to the Giants, 43 to the Bills, 30 to the Falcons, 33 to the Saints, 31 to the Chiefs. Now, you might also notice these are not exactly the worst teams in football. The Chargers are a good football team. The Bills are a good football team. The Saints are, well, not great, I guess. But And then you've got the Chiefs. Well, I guess that's not fair to say. I mean, they're, they're, <laughs> the Saints and the Chiefs are basically the same record. But they're, they're, at the very least, they're competent. And we know one thing we know about the Chiefs, if we're talking about the Washington defense, is that they have a very good offense. So they've gone up against the Chiefs offense, Saints offense, Bills offense, and Chargers offense that we know can be pretty potent. And even the Falcons, I mean, the biggest problem with the Falcons isn't necessarily their offense, although their offense is nowhere near what it was. Um, they've been able to keep pace with a couple teams. In fact, the last two weeks, they put up 30 and 27. They even put up 25 against Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, the biggest problem for Atlanta has been their defense. Washington's offense, couple other highlights. They're 24th in turnovers, having nine turnovers in six weeks so far this season. Um, their defense is 31st in first downs, meaning they're the 31st worst in giving up first downs. So that's nice to know. They're dead last in passing yards. They're dead last in passing touchdowns with 16. And they're 26th in net yards per attempt, which is kind of the one general metric, I guess, you could use in terms of their passing efficiency. Um, Trying to do highlights, I guess. And that was, I think I mentioned their defense. Offensively, not much better. 24th in yards, 24th in interceptions, 17th in touchdowns, 18th in net yards per attempt. Um, Offensively, rushing the ball, they're kind of right down the middle. Uh, 17th in attempts, 19th in yards, 20, uh, excuse me, 17th in touchdowns, 17th in yards per attempt at 4.1. Defensively, it's the one thing they're at least halfway competent doing. It's the only real uh, top 10, I mean, not, not the only only, but one of the very few top 10 categories that they have is defensively yards per attempt against the rush, only allowing 4.0 yards per attempt, which ranks ninth. Believe it or not, they're actually way worse than us in terms of starting field position. Um, that is to say, the other team, where do they start? For the Green Bay Packers, um, generally speaking, um, our opponents start on their own 28.3-yard line. We rank 18th in that category. Washington is 31st. On average, teams start at the 32.5-yard line. 
Now, generally, that would probably have to do with punting a lot and from being backed up, you know, and punting from far away. But still, that's pretty significant. They also rank 27th on uh, where they start. On average, they start at the 25.5-yard line, so basically it's a kickoff every single time. The Packers, by the way, start at the 29 on average. So we look at that and say we're terrible at that. We usually have very bad starting field position, and our opponents have really good starting field position. It's actually not necessarily true. It's not as good as we'd like it to be. We start generally at the 29. Our opponents start at about the 28. But again, Washington is almost dead last in both of these categories. As far as uh, things like correlations, which is what I really like to look at, um, the 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 teams kind of set bars. The offense sets a bar for the defense. The defense sets a bar for the offense. The problem here, uh, seemingly, is that they well they both suck. <laughs> the Washington football team is undefeated when they can get to thirty points. They scored 13 and lost, 16 and lost, 21 and lost, 22 and lost. They scored 30 and 1, 34 and 1. Why? Well, it's because of what we already talked about. They've given up 30 in almost every single game. So that's that, again, is a problem. The defense is so bad, they set a bar for the offense that says, listen, you got to get above 30 or we're never going to win. The problem is, inversely, the offense is saying, uh, sorry, that's not going to work. You're going to have to bring that down or, uh, or we can't win. Not only that, the bar set by the defense in terms of total yards on offense is 400 yards. In other words, they're undefeated when they've got to 400. Any game in which they've thrown or, or accumulated less than 400 yards is a loss. For reference, the Packers have gotten 400 yards once this entire season. Washington has gotten there twice, and those are the only two games they've won. The only time we've gotten to 400 yards was against the Cincinnati Bengals. That's it. We've had uh, under that every single game, and we had under 300 against the New Orleans Saints, not super surprisingly. That's a heck of a high bar. In terms of passing yards, the, the defense demands about 300 passing yards. They beat Atlanta Falcons getting 290 and the Giants getting 320. Again, every other game was under that. Every other game, they've lost. The Packers have only thrown for 300 yards once, again, against the Bengals. So in other words, I guess what I'm saying is if, if our defense was Washington's defense, we might have one win right now. And, and probably not even because we barely won that Bengals game. So in reality, I we would not have won that game. We probably would be win. <laughs> I'm choking on my own spit. Probably be winless. That may not be exactly the case, but you get what I'm saying. It's it's a big deal. Rushing doesn't mean anything, which is something that I've noticed a lot. It almost never correlates to winning. In fact, I, I've noticed if anything, there seems to be somewhat of an inverse relationship, and it's the weirdest thing ever. But it just never means anything. As far as the specifics about the team, again, I've, I've kind of already started that process. Tyler Heineke is, um, you could say, an average quarterback. His grades do technically say average. With that said, however, um, at his 57.4 overall grade, he's ranked 34th out of 36, two spots ahead of Trevor Lawrence, one spot ahead of uh, my old buddy Justin Fields, who's ranked second from the bottom, which didn't need to be said, but I really wanted to say that. So um, it's not great, and it is a problem, especially when this team seems to win when the offense has a really, really good day. As for the offensive line, their left tackle is Mr. Charles Leno, as I mentioned, um, the old Chicago Bear. Um, 74 overall grade. He's having a pretty good, uh, pretty good year. 54 run blocking, so that's been a struggle, but 83.9 pass blocking grade. It's actually the fifth highest pass blocking grade in the NFL. At left guard, they've got Eric Flowers. Eric Flowers has been around for uh, quite a while. He was with the Giants for several years. He was with Jacksonville. He was with Washington, then went to Miami, and now is back with Washington. Um, he's never really been a super high-quality football player. This is actually the best he's ever been, unfortunately, for all of us. Um, his highest grade ever as a pass blocker was 70.4, although, or excuse me, 73.8, I guess. Uh, there's also a 70 in there, mostly just 60s throughout his career. He's at an 83.3 pass blocking grade. In fact, his worst grade this year pass blocking is a 72.1. So he's having a very, very good year. Again, he's a really bad run blocker, but he's been very good pass blocking so far this year. Um, at center, they've got Chase Roulier. Uh, again, he's kind of been around for a while. I think he's been with Washington the whole time. Yeah, he has. He's in year five with Washington. 
Again, he's been a pretty solid pass blocker for most of his career. Um, in addition, pretty good run blocker the last couple of years. So the, the only thing with Chase is that he's very intermittent. Um, his run blocking grades were basically summarizing bad, great, bad, good, bad, great. His pass blocking grades, good, bad, good, good, bad, average. So it's it's about three good, three bad for pass blocking and run blocking. He's only had one week so far this year where he had both kind of synced up, doing a good job. That was against Atlanta. Go figure. So he's got it in him. It's just there's a ton of inconsistency. At right guard, Brandon Scherf is their right guard. He's been out for several weeks. I don't know if he's going to come back. I had seen a couple weeks ago they said he's going to be out two weeks. Well, it's been two weeks, so uh, he can play, but I don't know if he's going to. Um, but as I said, Wes Schweitzer has come in in his stead. He's actually graded out higher than Brandon Scherf, which is a total kick in the shins because uh, they paid that guy a lot of money. But uh, Brandon Scherf is a good football player. Wes Schweitzer, and he hasn't played a ton, but he's done a good job. Um, Wes, his, uh, what did he do? Oh, he was playing a little bit of left tackle. That's what threw me. But no, he's been uh, he's been a right tackle for uh, at least at least a little bit for six straight games. 178 snaps, 81.8 overall grade. Uh, I'm sure if I look this up, it's that's going to be up near the top. Uh, 81. Yep, sixth overall. So again, this is this is a talented group. Um, similar situation at right tackle. Sam Cosme, I had mentioned, is a guy that's uh, not been practicing this week. I don't know if he's going to play or not. Um, Sam has got a 89 run blocking grade, which again has got to be one of the best in football, but only a 62 pass blocking grade. Cornelius Lucas, on the other hand, the guy that's come in to replace him, played quite a bit so far, 119 total snaps on the season. Um, he's the exact opposite, 67 run blocking, 86 pass blocking, which again, you're getting close to 90. It's going to be one of the best groups. And I do think that'll be a little bit of a challenge. I mean, anytime you don't have pressure and we've seen that even against bad quarterbacks. Look at Justin Fields. Again, he's a bad quarterback, but when he had time to sit in the pocket, eventually somebody comes wide open, and an NFL quarterback, good, bad, or indifferent, is going to be able to throw a ball to a wide-open guy in the middle of the field. That's just that's going to happen. So um, in terms of pressures, again, the offensive line has done a very good job. They've, uh, they are actually 29th, uh, the 29th most. I'm, I'm saying that kind of backwards. The fourth best the fourth least amount of pressures, only 42 on the entire season. Um, they are tied for number one with Dallas and San Francisco only giving up two sacks on the season. They are 10th overall in terms of hits, and with hurries, they are tied for fourth with only 31 hurries. So again, um, it's a talented offensive line. They don't allow a lot of pressures. Looking at the receivers, as I mentioned, they've pretty much got one main guy on their team, and that is Mr. Terry McLaurin, 18th overall uh, wide receiver in the NFL. He's been solid for several years. His first year was his best, 85 overall grade, 6th in the NFL. Since then, 78 overall grade, 77 overall grade, um, but only 26 years old. He's just a solid football player. It's no other way around that. Um, other than that, the next biggest receiver in terms of routes run or, or you know, receiving routes run or whatever, is Mr. Adam Humphreys. He's got a 54 overall grade. He's accounted for 149 receiving yards on 15 receptions so far. Not a massive impact guy. He is their slot guy. After that is wide receiver Diami Brown. He's accounted for 81 yards and no touchdowns, 52 overall grade. After that is tight end Ricky Seals-Jones, who I mentioned was on the injury report. He's accounted for 137 yards and two touchdowns, so fairly productive, 66 overall grade, nothing super spectacular. Then you got running back J.D. McKissick, who has accounted for 215 of their receiving yards, which is actually the second highest on the team after Terry McLaurin. So that's not necessarily insignificant, both positively and negatively. I mean, it's good that basically it's McLaurin and then a running back. It's bad that we have to account for that because that's always kind of tough. Um, then you've got uh, Mr. Logan Thomas, another tight end who has 117 yards and two tight end, uh, two touchdowns. So again, as you can kind of see, the tight ends are a big part of this. Between Ricky Seals-Jones, Logan Thomas, we've got you know 250 yards and four of their nine total touchdowns at the tight end position. That's something our guys are going to have to keep their eye on. Um, and then you got Antonio Gibson is the only other real big contributor, another running back. 
He's accounted for 119 yards and a touchdown through the air. As far as the running backs, um, there's basically two running backs. You've got Antonio Gibson is their number one guy. This is going to be their uh, bigger back, six foot two, 220 pounds. And this is how most teams operate. You got the bigger back that carries the, the larger load. Uh, and then you got your smaller back that's going to be doing more. Um, you know, he's your Aaron Jones. You don't put quite as much on his back, and you're probably going to see more receiving. That's not exactly how the Packers operate, but that's it's pretty standard stuff. So 102 snaps, 89 attempts, 357 yards, four yards per attempt, three touchdowns, three fumbles. So again, not super great. He's only got a 61.3 overall grade, 68 rushing grade, a 39.2 elusiveness rating. Longest carry on the season, 27 yards, six carries over 10 yards. Um, It's about it in terms of things that are interesting. Uh, He does have 24 first downs, horrific pass blocker, 45 overall receiving grade. So he's just a running back, and he's mediocre at that. After that, I mentioned J.D. McKissick. Again, this is sort of the smaller back. He's 5'11", 195 pounds. He's going to be your third down back. Only 25 carries, 100 yards. Again, four-yard average, exact same as Antonio Gibson. He's got one touchdown on the season. Um, Neither of these guys are doing anything after contact. 2.83 yards after contact for Antonio Gibson, the big guy. The smaller guy, 1.8 yards after contact. Basically, he goes down instantly. In fact, Tyler uh, Heineke has 1.2. It's almost the the quarterback has almost the exact same. Uh, J.D. McKissick's longest carry of the season was 11 yards. Um, Again, we've gone through his receiving statistics, so he's more of an impact guy as a receiver. That is his highest grade, 68.5, only a 51.5 pass blocking grade, so he's not great at that either. There is Jarrett Patterson. Um, He's had nine carries, 28 yards, um, and then two targets, two receptions, nine yards. But again, not a huge impact kind of a guy. So you got two main guys. You got your big guy that's just a running back and is mediocre. You got JD McKissick who can do a lot of things and none of them very well. Kind of a receiving threat though. That's the one thing when he's on the field you got to watch for him as a receiving threat. Um, and then and then we got defense. So we kind of went over the defensive line a little bit. We'll kind of look at the uh, the statistics. Otherwise, that's pretty much been covered, I guess. Um, looking at the defensive tackles, Deron Payne is actually the leader in terms of total snaps. He has 21 pressures on 209 attempts, so he's right at 10%, only one sack. And that's the biggest thing with the Washington Redskins, uh, whatever their name is, Washington Potato Skins, I don't care. They are one of the top teams in terms of pressures. They are one of the lowest teams in terms of sacks. I don't know what that tells us, but it clearly is not indicative of a team that's very successful. <laughs> It's pretty wild, that that little statistic, but there you go. And you're going to see that carry out. After that is Jonathan Allen, who I mentioned was quite dominant, 90s and 80s and all that kind of stuff. 25 pressures, three sacks, very similar to Rashawn's uh, statistics. In fact, uh, I think Rashawn has 25 pressures and two sacks. But again, he's a, a high-pressure guy. That's somewhat decent as a uh, as a run defender. After that, you got Matt Ioannidis, who's been there for quite a while, 77 overall grade. 13 pressures, 135 attempts, again, right at 10%, only one sack, so mediocre pass rusher, mediocre uh, run defender. He's he's Dean Lowry. Uh, you got Tim Settle, who's really not very good at much, but he does have five pressures on 48 attempts, so he's, again, right at 10%, no, no uh, sack. Uh, off the edge, I mentioned Chase Young. He is by far their biggest snap count guy, 369 snaps. He has 20 pressures, 227 attempts. So he's actually below 10%, which is pretty terrible, and only two sacks on the season. So you can see the frustration with him. But again, he's pretty well-rounded. He's not a terrible pass rusher. He's a good tackler. He's decent against the run. He's a competent football player, but he hasn't really put together a dominant pass rushing performance, which, let's be honest, that's what everybody wants. After that, again, Montez Sweat, 19 pressures, 209 attempts. Again, just below 10%, only three sacks. Really good run defender. Not what they want in terms of uh, production off the edge as a pass rusher. Uh, and tr- after that, you've got uh, James Smith-Williams, three pressures on 78 attempts. That's probably the worst statistic I've ever seen from a pass rusher. And he has a 54 run defense grade, so he's incompetent. Um, after that is Casey Tuhill, four pressures, 32 attempts. Technically, that's over 10%. It's a pretty good number, but it's a very small percentage. The only other guy that's been out there is Shaka Tony, who's a young guy, obviously has not gotten many reps, uh, only 11 so far. He has had seven pass rush attempts and no pressure, so he has not had any impact up to this point. 
After that, looking at the linebackers, Cole Holcomb is their main guy. Um, and that kind of sucks for them because he's really bad. He's sort of a sideline that he's supposed to be. And this is what most teams are looking for right now. We get that one guy that takes the vast majority of the snaps. For reference, he has played 430 snaps. The second linebacker is Mr. Jamin Davis. He has played 205. So less than half. Cole Holcomb is the main guy, sideline to sideline, 49 overall grades, 62 run defense, 63 pass rush, 41 coverage. He's got five pressures and a sack so far this season in terms of his coverage abilities. Um, by the way, he's got five missed tackles, so that's not super great. Um, 25 receptions, 31 targets. He has given up 265 yards, two touchdowns, does have a pick and one pass breakup, 110 passer rating when targeted. Um, he's not doing well. Not the worst stats in the world, but you know you, you pair the grades with it, and it sounds like what PFF is telling us is the grades or the, the stats don't quite show how bad this guy's been. Otherwise, Mr. Jamin Davis, who actually it sounds like has had a reduced role. I was listening to some Washington stuff, and they were kind of perturbed and upset that he hasn't had a more expanded role. And yes, I know that's not how you say his name, but that is how I will forever say his name. Um, a lot of Packer fans were really interested in him. So far, it has not been very good. 50 overall grade, 45 run defense, 59 tackling, 67 pass rush, 56 coverage. Um, below average in every single category, only one pressure so far. 22 tackles, 5 missed tackles, 10% of his uh, tackle attempts are misses. Um, 9 targets, 9 receptions, 65 yards. So, you know, whatever. After him is Mr. John Bostic, been around a long time. He has a 30 overall grade, 47 run defense, 29 coverage. He's been targeted 18 times despite the fact that he hasn't been on the field all that much. 17 of those were caught for 219 yards, and he gave up a touchdown. So he is a massive liability. And if you ever see John Bostic, number 53 on the field, and then you see Rodgers make some kind of a check, bet somebody real quick that they're about to throw at 53. Just a hunch. They have a lot of really bad cover guys, so I could be wrong, but just throwing that out there as a hunt. Uh, moving out to cornerback, Kendall Fuller is their number one corner. Um, he is, I believe, I could be wrong, outside of the defensive line, the best player on their team, well, it's, it's all, oh, it is, it's Kendall Fuller. Kendall Fuller is the best player on their team, not on the defensive line. He has a 66 overall grade, 84.8 run defense grade, which is irrelevant. 59 tackling, 57 pass rush, 61 coverage. He's not doing great. Again, he's propped up largely by this useless run defense grade. Um, he's been targeted 48 times. 32 of those were caught for 310 yards. He gave up a touchdown. Does have a pick and four pass breakups, which is not terrible. But again, it's not great. William Jackson is the guy on the other side. He has a 46 overall grade, 45 tackling, 46, uh, 46 coverage grade. Um, he has given up 18 receptions on 35 targets, 258 yards. He's given up three touchdowns, does have a pick and four pass breakups. After that is Mr. Benjamin St. Just, I believe. Nope, he's not the slot guy. Who's their slot guy? Oh, so Kendall Fuller goes into the slot when, when we put a slot guy. Dude, you know how, oh my goodness. So here's a prediction for you. This is the first thing that just came to my mind when I realized this. Think about it. Kendall Fuller, who is their best cornerback by a mile, goes to the slot when a slot player is on the field. What does that mean? Every time we put Randall Cobb on the field, Kendall Fuller has to be taken off of Devontae Adams and moved over to Randall Cobb, leaving Devontae with either Benjamin St. Juiced or William Jackson, who is ranked 108th out of 118 cornerbacks. Why do I get the feeling, especially with this hefty group of pass rushers. We're going to be seeing some three wide with a running back staying into block and a tight end, right? I mean, it just makes sense. I mean, maybe we don't even have to because who cares? Because Devontae can handle it either way, but that just seems like taking candy from a baby, doesn't it? If we put a sl you're telling me that your best corner has to leave Devontae every time that I put a, a, a slot receiver out there? I mean, that's, that's, that seems obvious to me. <laughs> anyways and maybe he doesn't have to maybe that's just one of those things they like to do I don't know but that's crazy but anyways St. Juiced 57.7 overall grade 55 coverage grade 
Um, where are we at here? 24 targets, 14 receptions, 211 yards. He's given up two touchdowns, no picks, three pass breakups. So nobody's very good. In fact, if we just look at coverage, if we can just pause that for a second, we'll get to safety in a second. The best grade in terms of coverage is safety Cameron Curl, 62.3 overall grade. He's barely average. It's the best they got. Anyway, speaking of safety, their number one guy is Bobby McCain, uh, 54.9 overall grade, 53 run defense, 43 tackling, 55.7 coverage. After that, you get Landon Collins, who um, apparently, as I told you would happen, Washington fans are ready for him to leave. They're tired of him. They didn't really like him, and I told you he wasn't that good. You can find me on Twitter saying that the guy's not good. And as predicted, he's not good. 48 overall grade, 50, uh, 74 run defense, 55 tackling, 38.3 coverage grade. Second worst on the team after linebacker John Bostic. Um, 26 times he's been targeted, which is high for a safety. In fact, that's... Uh, uh, no, Cole Holcomb's higher. Anyways, 26 times he's been targeted, 18 receptions, 283 yards given up, Three touchdowns, no picks, no pass breakups, 143.6 passer rating when targeted. That is the highest passer rating of anybody on the team. After that, you get safety Cameron Curl, who I mentioned has the highest grade, which is not very good. 68 run defense. He does have a 90 tackling grade, so he's just a tackling machine. 62 coverage, 18 targets, 11 receptions, 107 yards, two touchdowns, no picks, two pass breakups. That's their defense. Anyways, that's, that's pretty much it. Do they have some good special teamers? Yeah, they got uh, Kaliki Hudson, 90 overall special teams grade. We don't know anything about that. They also got a 78 overall grade with Ricky Seals-Jones. Um, never heard of that in my entire life. In terms of kickers, um, you know, they got uh, Tress Way, who's a real popular punter, but he's grading out his average right now. Um, as far as field goals, Dustin Hopkins has a 46 overall grade. He's 10 of 12 for extra points. He's 12 of 14 on field goals. And for returning, you got DeAndre Carter as their kick and punt returner. He's got a 71 overall kick return grade. Um, he's averaging 25.8, which really doesn't mean much of anything. He does have a touchdown, which is probably why his grades are so high. 25.8 means you're just bringing it back to where you know you would be if you took a knee. And he has a 64 punt return grade, averaging 9.5 yards per attempt. So that's his, their special teams. But anyways, I'm going to get going. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. Talk a little bit more about this tomorrow. Have yourselves a good one. Bye-bye.